When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. a disorienting dilemma for them when they find themselves in a career situation where the success that they've achieved to this point is not necessarily automatically going to promote them to the next level and help them be successful in the next level. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi. I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. How do we navigate conflict and what feels like an invisible, unlevel playing field? My guest and I will discuss this head on. What can individuals do to advance their career when these forces are at play? And what should leaders and organizations do to address it? Because we need top talent more than ever. I'm honored to be joined today by Tina Woodard, CEO of Capstone Performance Solutions, a leader in organizational development that she founded nearly a decade ago. After a 20-year distinguished career driving transformation and leadership development in manufacturing, government, and higher education. Eight of those years as the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Organizational Development at the University System of Georgia. Dr. Woodard, who also goes by Dr. T, is a passionate advocate for youth, girls, and women, and giving back to the community. She holds a BS in industrial engineering and master's in human resource development, both from Clemson University, and earned her doctorate with honors in adult education from the University of Georgia. She's also a passionate lifelong learner, and that's how we got to know each other. Both of us trained at 3CP, Columbia University in New York's executive coaching program. Dr. T, glad to finally have you on as my guest here on 97% Effective. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. First, congrats. You were named a finalist for the Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce's Small Business Awards in Georgia. And you're not so much a small company when I looked. You've got now uh, a team of 15 or 20, mainly executive coaches. And also, this is not the first time that I've seen you've been up for Small Business Awards. So congratulations. Thank you very much. This is not my first time being nominated. It is my first time becoming a finalist. So I'm really excited about that. Thank you. And congratulations to you for one year 
of your podcast, 97% Effective. That is a major milestone, and I'm so excited for you, Michael. Thank you. And it took a year to get you on. So <laughs> here we are. When we were in the Columbia program, the part that I remembered most, because it was part of your introduction when we, when we met each other, tell us more about the I Am Beautiful organization that you founded, how that came to be and why it's important. I also saw back in 2016 that you attended the White House United States Women's Summit and you were recognized for your work with I Am Beautiful. Tell us more about it. Yes. So, Michael, I come from a family of educators. My mother was my sixth grade teacher. My father was my high school physical science and chemistry teacher. My sister went on to become a biology teacher and a principal and an executive director of an alternative school. So you can imagine growing up, our conversations around the dinner table focused mainly around education and the state of youth what was going well with the education system, what needed to change, just the plight of youth that we observed in our community, youth who were getting involved in selling and consuming harmful drugs, as well as joining gangs. They were dropping out of school, truancy rates were high. And we were very quick to often say what the school system should do, what the superintendent should do, or what the government officials should do. But fast forward, when my sister and I became adults and we were still looking around and seeing the plight of youth in our respective communities, mine in Georgia and hers in South Carolina, we decided that it was no longer sufficient to point our fingers at others because we had reached a stage in life where we were able to provide tools, resources, and support to the young people in our respective communities and do our part. And so we were able to combine our resources, minimal as they were, fueled by our passion for helping youth and we founded I Am Beautiful as a mentoring program for girls ages 6 to 18. And we execute our work with volunteers, women who have similar values and passion around giving back to the community to support girls. And we have been doing this type of work in terms of helping girls develop their leadership skills, become more confident, make better choices about their physical bodies, about their career choices, exposing them to college campuses and to other professionals in the respective fields of interest for them so that they could uh, be exposed to those careers. And we've been doing it for 19 years now. And I need to update my bio because I am no longer the chief executive officer of the organization. And you may recall during our 3CP training at Columbia, I was struggling with needing to step away as the CEO of I Am Beautiful so I could focus more on my consulting business. And we found the most wonderful volunteer who was willing to step up into the executive director role for I Am Beautiful. And so she has been at the helm of the organization leading us since 2021. And now I sit on the board to help guide the strategic direction of the organization. And fortunately, now we've been able to serve girls around the country. And so we're really excited about that work. So it's nationwide now. Congratulations. Yes, and we've been nationwide for a few years, and the pandemic allowed us to more officially serve girls across the country. 
uh, because we began to offer and deliver our program virtually instead Mm -hmm. of having boots on the ground in these respective communities. Yeah. I I didn't know all that. I'll call out a couple things. I mean, you're educator, now that I know your whole family (laughs) and all of your degrees, (laughs) but it did come through. As many people know, I'm a geek. When I Google scholared you because of your doctorate, I was interested in what you had done. The I Am Beautiful training manual is is there in Google Scholar. So that's in some ways not surprising now, given your background. And also, which I think is foreshadowing a little bit of our discussion here, you very much work at this intersection with your consulting with the top of large organizations and how do they shape things, but also, which is very much represented in what you said with I Am Beautiful, sometimes you got to take things into your own hands and starting early with youth when things aren't being addressed. So very proactive there. So closing in on 20 years, I'm sure that's going to be a big party next year. Yes, it will be. (laughs) And speaking of anniversaries, I just came back from the 60th anniversary of the Billie Jean King tennis tournament finals. And this was the first year that women will receive the same prize money as men. And so 60 years to receive pay parity. I I wanted you to reflect for a minute, because the podcast is around hard truths. In the leadership work that you do, is, is there a hard truth you would drop here at the beginning about advancing careers and ourselves? Yes. The hard truth I would like to share is high performance is not enough. I'll say it again. High performance is not enough. You must become the initiator and the architect of your own career progression. I am delighted that this is the first year that women are going to receive the same prize as men. Long time coming. An American soccer player, Mia Hamm, said, celebrate what you've accomplished, but raise the bar a little higher each time you succeed. And so I hope that every organization, we will celebrate the fact that women are getting paid the same as uh, men in this particular area of sports. But now how can we broaden that and make sure that it is happening in every organization? And as it relates to our career, knowing that high performance is not enough, and I'm speaking that, Michael, from personal experience, because early in my career, I believed that if I came into an organization, worked really diligently to meet and even exceed the performance and productivity expectations, that someone would just happen to notice me and I would be promoted. And that was erroneous thinking on my part. There are so many other factors that affect your visibility, your promotability in an organization. But at the time, and this was a long time ago, I won't share my age, but it was a while ago, Michael. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm right there with you. (laughs) Today we hear of mentors, allies, sponsors, and all of that is great. But early in my career, I didn't necessarily have that. And a few years into my career... As an engineer, I was working for a major corporate, a global corporation, and uh, was caught up in a layoff. And that was an early, very hard lesson for me to learn that early in my career that uh, for corporations, uh, there's no such thing as loyalty. 
they will indiscriminately engage in layoffs. And so we're doing ourselves a disservice when we rely solely on the organization to prepare a career path for us and to promote us into higher level positions. So again, we must become the initiator and the architect of our own career progression. And so Dr. T now, with all these years of executive coaching, organizational development, and consulting experience, if you were to go back and and coach Tina, who's just Mm -hmm. graduated with a BS in industrial engineering in that company, what would have been the number one thing you would have pointed out or gotten her to think about differently? Yes, I would tell her to focus on networks and connections. The relationships we're able to establish inside and outside of the organization are crucial to our career progression. It's important to develop those relationships, Michael. Instead of waiting for someone to notice you and place you into a formal structured mentoring program or leadership development program or a stretch assignment, it's important for us to develop relationships and make those connections with key people and leaders within the organization and then begin to socialize our own career aspirations. Because the more we build those relationships, and sometimes you can form an organic mentoring relationship just by having frequent conversations with key leaders within the organization. So don't wait until you're formally enrolled or placed into a mentoring program. Take the initiative to reach out via email or whatever internal chat messaging system you may have. Or if you run into that leader in the elevator or in the hallway, strike up a conversation. Take the time to build a connection, build a relationship so that you will have an opportunity to socialize your career aspirations so that that individual may think of you when a position becomes available or an opportunity for further development becomes available, you will be top of mind for that individual because of the relationship. So performance is not enough. It's interesting. You reflecting on Tina back graduating from college, there are still lots of college grads who are going into companies believing performance is enough. Performance is not enough. And this very much goes right into the topic that we wanted to talk about today. A little bit of context. Usually you are working with CEOs and the C-suite. A bunch of college grads came to you knowing that you were an executive coach and, and you took them on through some group coaching. And the question was, hey, really weird things are happening here to me. I'm, I'm not feeling I'm in charge of my career. Share a little bit about what you encountered and and a presenting situation. So it was presented to me by my daughter. She is an early career engineer in a male-dominated field. And I was able to connect with her on that level because I was also in her position as an engineer in a male-dominated field. And so she, along with some of her peers and friends, were experiencing some conflict in the workplace. And not necessarily always conflict, but just challenges around how do we navigate this corporate environment, this professional realm that we're not really familiar with. 
and colleges don't necessarily always prepare individuals to navigate those spaces effectively. And I often found myself advising and coaching her and then through her advising and coaching her friends and her peers. And so I freely do that because it resonates with me what they have experienced. And what I've been able to do is coach them around finding their voice, that first of all, that their voice matters and that they are contributing significant value to their respective organizations. And so it's going to be very important for them to find their voice and to be able to communicate what they want in their career, as opposed to sitting back and waiting for their manager or director to approach them about their career goals, but to actually take the initiative to approach their manager or director and even the human resources department to achieve their career goals and make those career goals known. And then also when they're navigating conflict, and some of them are, to also find your voice. First step is have a conversation with that individual with whom you're having conflict. Try to have a conversation so that you understand that individual and where they're coming from, and then share your perspective and where you're coming from and try to find common ground and then begin to address the elephant in the room, if you will, the conflict that they're experiencing to initiate resolution of that on their own first before involving upper-level management or the Department of Human Resources. So helping them find their voice, helping them resolve tension with their colleagues, particularly those who are more experienced, and then also taking ownership of their own career and development. I'm imagining myself back graduating college, having (laughs) that initial conversation with my boss at the time. Very intimidating. Particularly, you know, that individual is probably older, more senior. There's that power dynamic. Easier said than done. Is there a, a first step you, you, you take there or you found you most help them engage in that? Yes. Well, given that I am an executive coach and they see me as such, I had them take the first step with me. Tell me your career goals. Tell me your career aspirations and how prepared you are now for the very next step. Do you even know what that very next step is? So I am doing some work with this group to help them understand and better articulate and clarify their values and how that aligns with their career goals and to be able to articulate that first to me and then to their peers because in constantly telling and retelling that story that narrative, they're able to build their confidence with story delivery, Mm. with connecting with each other. Because if you can connect with your peers and share your career goals with them, then that gives you just a tad bit more confidence when it comes to sharing that perhaps with your manager. So from working with me to working with their peers and communicating those career goals, and then Find some peers, some colleagues within your office whom you trust and share it with them. So it's progressive and Mm -hmm. incrementally they've been able to build more and more confidence around sharing their career goals 
and it helps them when it's time for them to now go connect with your manager and have a similar conversation with your manager. By then, they've built up that muscle of telling the story, the confidence that's needed to approach that individual, and then that helps the conversation go a little bit more smoothly. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoth. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. And for you, and this is a coach-to-coach question, what is the major difference you see with coaching someone who's in their early 20s, which is primarily, I imagine, the people that you're training and coaching like me are by now in their 40s or even late 30s, much more senior, different generation. Anything different there that you would call out? Absolutely, Michael. I am finding this group of early career professionals, they're more coachable. (laughs) They are hungry for this knowledge, this information. They really cherish and value the experience that I bring to the conversation. And they immediately go into application mode. Whereas sometimes some senior level leaders and executives believe that they have arrived and are less likely to embrace the new learning and the insights and to go immediately into application mode. They may carve out and create uh, an action plan for application but they may not always execute. And what I'm finding in working with early career professionals, the ones that I'm working with at least, they move into application mode almost immediately. I have some who maybe within an hour after our coaching session, they're already texting or emailing me to say, I did X or I've accomplished Y or I've completed step Z that you encouraged me. And I'm amazed that they're immediately applying, executing, and then following up with me for next steps. So that is the most significant difference that I see, just the level of hunger, their motivation, and the coachability factor, which is so important when you go into a coaching relationship. That's the dream client. Previously on this podcast, I had Dr. John Schaffner from Columbia's program, and he also teaches at Ohio State, primarily millennials. He doesn't coach older executives because they seem to have a lot of, how did he phrase it, harder to chip away the the arteries that are very (laughs) solidified at that point. Yes. And I find that some more senior leaders and executives, because they have had some success in their careers, they believe that they can continue riding that success to their next step. And it's a disorienting dilemma for them when they find themselves in a career situation where the success that they've achieved to this point is not necessarily automatically going to promote them to the next level and help them be successful in the next level. So I'm there for that disorienting dilemma because I know that they're then open to learning, to growing and developing into that next level position. To flip this, Dr. T, how would you shifting your your role here to CEO of Capstone, which works with some very large organizations and you work with the top? Yes, we can talk all about being proactive and guiding our own careers, but 
you know, if you've got a system that is set, it's sometimes like you're pushing a rock up the hill. If you're then consulting the company that they're in, what does that process look like in terms of working with management and leadership to think about the, the talent pipeline and, and younger individuals? Yeah, so it's really incumbent upon mid and senior level leaders to prioritize talent development. And I have the great fortune of being able to work with a lot of organizations to help them figure out what their talent development processes and programs, uh, which of those would be most effective. Because if we're interested in increasing engagement among employees, then talent development is absolutely non-negotiable. People want to learn and they want to grow and they want to be excited about their work. So it's important for leaders to ensure that they are allocating budgetary funds for professional and leadership development and then putting robust programs in place internally and then allocating funds for employees to gain support and professional development outside of the organization as well. So I'm fortunate, our company is fortunate enough to be able to work on both sides. We help as external consultants coming in to help them design, develop, and deliver internal leadership, management development, coaching programs, et cetera. And then we're also able to work with their, oftentimes the departments of human resources to help them identify external programs and workshops and certifications that individuals may need. We actually share our ASCEND model with organizations and ASCEND stands for aspiration. So helping employees figure out where their next career step may lead them or what their desired career step is. So what is that aspiration and how does that align with their values? Because we don't want individuals in positions that they're not really passionate about and able to use their natural skills and gifts and talents. So having conversations with your workforce to ensure there's a mutual understanding of what that next career step is. And then the S is for stepping stones. Sometimes individuals are a little confused about if you are a customer service level one, but eventually you want to be the vice president of customer service. Well, there are some steps that you have to take in between that. And so we help them figure out what is the next step you need to take and then the step after that and the step after that. So really helping them define a career path by understanding what those steps are. And then the C is for competencies, helping them identify which competencies, what are the skills and the knowledge and the even the attitudes that you need to be effective in that next step and the step after that. So identifying those competencies that are necessary. And then the E stands for exposure, education. What exposure opportunities do they need? Do they need to attend a professional association meeting with their director or their manager? Or do they need to go to a board meeting? So we help them identify those exposure opportunities that would help them achieve their overall career goal. And then the N is for networks. 
again, it's really important to understand those connections and to establish those connections. So inside the organization and outside of the organization, who do they need to know? Who do they need as a mentor? And then the D stands for development. What developmental opportunities do you need? Workshops, programs, formal learning, informal learning. So that is our ASCEND model that we're able to share with mid-level leaders and senior level leaders to help them develop a robust talent development uh, program and process within their organization so that they are partnering with the workforce, with their team members to help them achieve their career goals. Yet so many organizations don't have this. It's obviously why you are in business and what you do. As a consultant, as a CEO, I'm fond of the saying, right, you can move mountains, but you have to know where to push. To do that, that's a lot of change management, particularly if an organization is used to one way of doing things. Where is it that you need to push the most or what gets the ball rolling so that this actually takes place? I like to help organizations figure out which room in the house is on fire. And that's where we start. I love it. (laughs) Yes. Which room in the house is on fire? The entire house may not be burning down. And I think these outward signs of success for organizations can be deceiving. Because if you're winning the Corporation of the Year Award, you may think, oh, we don't need to make any significant sweeping changes because we're winning awards out here. But there's a room in the house that's burning. And so we look at these metrics. We look at where is there high turnover, where there is a revolving door. Let's start there and figure out what's causing that. And then how can we better engage and motivate and support the employees in that particular area? And then what we're finding is when we see the fire is quenched in that room of the house, Another room in the house that may have some embers, they're interested in, oh, what can we do? Because we're starting to see this trend of a revolving door as well in this division. So how can we adopt and adapt what's going on in this other room in the house that may be burning? And there's always, when we look very carefully and we're able to methodically look very carefully using our proprietary organizational effectiveness assessment, That gives us insight in terms of leadership, culture, and strategy of the organization, which are the transformative elements of an organization. And then further, we're able to look at the more transactional factors, such as systems and processes, procedures, motivation, management, supervision, uh, org structure. We help the organizations figure out which room in the house is burning and let's quench that fire and then make sure no other rooms in the house are set afire as well. And I want to call out, I'm hearing the CEO and the engineer, transactional so, vectors. Okay, <laughs> I'm holding that one. We're going to come back to that. <laughs> but which room in the house is is on fire? So I think everyone is out there is thinking, right, in the organization they're in or they're leading, where is something going wrong in the company? So if you need a firefighter, there's Dr. T. <laughs> But let's, this bridges right into some of your background and the transactional vectors, which you just alluded to, made me think of, you're an engineer. I I don't see as many engineers who move into HR, let alone coaching. What does your engineering background 
bring to to the work you do? Mm. It's really important. And my the discipline of engineering that I studied is industrial. And industrial engineering and organizational development, I like to say they're cousins mm. uh, because they're so closely aligned in terms of the outcomes that they can produce within an organization. And so I, d- I didn't find that to be such a stretch. And I'll share with you what stimulated my interest in organizational development. While I was working as an engineer, I was responsible for a particular area in the manufacturing plant that I was working for at the time. And Michael, we really could not figure out why this particular uh, area was underperforming. They were missing their shipping deadlines. They were sending parts that were poorly assembled. So in industrial engineering, we were taught, and it's very methodical, formulaic, if you will, to look at the materials, the machines, the processes, the procedures, and we assessed all of that and found it to be intact. It wasn't until we looked at the man, so it's man, materials, and methods. Of course, they weren't as gender sensitive back then, so now we would call it something else, but back then it was the human factor, right? And so we looked at the human factor, and as I invested more time talking to the assemblers on the manufacturing floor, I learned and discovered that they simply did not like each other. And so second shift operators were not passing information along to the third shift assemblers. And so with each shift, they were coming in and starting with a clean slate as opposed to having information from the previous shift that would allow them to get the materials and everything that they needed so they could keep up with the pace of production. That's when I became immensely interested in team dynamics and the effect that that can have on performance and productivity. So I began to study that more. I returned to my alma mater, Clemson University, and earned my master's degree in human resource development. And that allowed me to combine what I learned in engineering to affect the team dynamics and to look at the human factors that affect performance and productivity within an organization. And so even today, I lean on, because I believe Engineers are scientists, and scientists are naturally, I call us, curious creatures. We are naturally inquisitive, and that helps with consulting. It helps with coaching because we have to ask questions to fully understand the context of our clients, to understand what's going on, how that is impacting their work, how it's impacting their team, and then the interpretive type of questions that we need to ask, and then the decisional types of questions that we need to ask, and with testing assumptions, because we always have to look at the reality of the situation before we can offer recommendations for improving it. I call us gap finders. We help our clients determine the reality of where they are today versus where they're trying to be ultimately, as a team, as an organization. And then we look at what's holding them back. And then we begin to offer solutions uh, to mitigate those barriers that are holding them back from the performance and productivity. 
there's a, a great case study being written <laughs> there, which makes me leap immediately to, you want to know how the case turned out. You, you figured out the root cause, which is around the human factors. What did you guys do at the time? And would you have done something differently now with the hindsight of all your experience? Well, looking back on that particular case now, going into that department as the leader, as a brand new engineer, with all of my tools and knowledge that I wanted to apply, transitioning into that leadership role, I would approach it very differently. I would immediately come in and instead of looking at performance numbers, I would get to know the people. I would take the time to get to know the individuals on each shift as much as I possibly could to understand the culture of the team. Because one thing that we know is we can have the very best product, we can have the best procedures, processes that are tightly designed, but if people aren't communicating and collaborating then it's going to have a detrimental impact on the performance of that. And so it's important to understand the culture. And the only way you can understand the culture is go talk to the people. Talk to people, yeah. Go talk to the people. And that's what I would do differently for that particular. Because then I would have known immediately that there was this tension between the shifts. And I would have been able to drill down, discover the root cause of that tension, and try to mitigate that as much as possible so that it would not affect the overall performance of the department. So again, understanding the culture, the team culture, and the organizational culture, because that is one of the transformational factors that can affect performance and productivity and organizational effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So a stellar engineer in an industrial organization shifts over to the cousin into organizational development. And you you chose a very specific area to do your doctorate. I started to read, but I didn't get through the whole thesis that's up there on Google <laughs> Scholar. But very specifically around adult education. Would love if you share one or two insights because children learn differently than adults. And we talked a little bit how adults get kind of more set. But At the intersection of your PhD work in this area and actually affecting organizational change, coaching senior leaders, anything that you want to share about how adults learn or adopt that would be useful for our audience to think about? Yes, it is important to meet adults where they are because they learn best when they can build upon experiences that they've already had. And, you know, we touched upon that in our coaching certification program when we're helping them understand their context uh, to ask them, what have you tried so far? What have you seen that works up to this point? So drawing upon the experiences that adults have already had and then building on that uh, is very different from working with children or educating children. They haven't had the life experiences that uh, adults have had. So acknowledging that that experience is in the room and allowing them to bring that experience to the conversation and to the learning experience. Whether it was a great experience or not, there's something that can be learned there and to help them reflect upon that and then add to that, build upon that. So that is one of the major differences and the things I think we have to keep in mind as we're working with adults. 
So we as adults are not blank slates. We are full slates that have a lot of baggage that needs to be called out or, or brought in. I, I like the way you reframe that of how that can be used to help us as a launching pad. Mm-hmm. Dr. T, my final question here is, you know, both of us are relatively in the minority of executive coaches. So I actually went and looked up the statistics. 70% of of coaches are white and just 70% are women. So there aren't as many black coaches or black women coaches. And I'd just love for you to talk about how that benefits or challenges your coaching work. Yes. So naturally, as a black female, Uh, When I have Black female clients, there's this connection that's there, a natural understanding of each other and of uh, our plight uh, working in corporate spaces. And there's this instant connection there around how we are, are perceived sometimes in the workplace, as well as how we navigate those spaces, being very sensitive to avoiding stereotypes. When I'm working with others, what helps me is I mentioned earlier that in the earlier part of my career, and and I'd even say until about the mid part of my career as an employee, I had very few mentors and sponsors and allies. And I was able to fortunately create a path of my own and to figure some things out on my own and to make some pivotal transitions at crucial moments in my career that ultimately led me to where I am today. And so I believe the the transitions that I was able to make from engineering into human resources, from working in manufacturing to working in uh, government, and then from working into government to working into working in higher education, I understand how to make transitions and to do those well. And that is something that I bring to consulting and to my coaching relationships with leaders. And I find myself working with a lot of leaders who are transitioning. They may be transitioning into the organization as a new leader or they may be recently promoted. And so they're transitioning from being a peer to now leading and directing their peers. So I'm able to lean in on what I learned through the various transitions in my career because I had to figure a lot of things out on my own. I'm able to extract from that lessons that now support me in consulting and coaching with leaders who are also in transition. So the deficit of mentor, mentors and allies and sponsors actually helped me develop a muscle that I normally would not have had at that time in my career. And so I lean into that. I leverage that to now help other leaders who are also transitioning. Yeah, I think it's a wicked and powerful combination when you've been through it right, in the corporate roles, and then you bring the academic side as well as the coaching and organizational development side. So it's really exciting to see and hear. Dr. T, any question I didn't ask that we should call out here at the end? 
Well, I think the conversation was quite comprehensive, Michael. (laughs) And I would love to follow up in the future if there are some additional questions that may come from your audience. And I will direct those to you or we'll have you on for another show as we look at what topics emerge. Dr. T, where do people reach you to see your work, read your materials, hear you speak, or engage you in training or coaching? Michael, earlier this year, we launched the Leadership Excellence Forum. These are monthly conversations that we have with leaders, and it's open to the public. If you follow me on LinkedIn or follow Capstone Performance Solutions, Inc., on LinkedIn, we offer these spaces monthly for leaders to convene in a psychologically safe environment to be able to dialogue around challenges and opportunities and how to improve and enhance our leadership skills and capacities. And that's one way that people can engage with us and with me personally, because I'm always present answering questions. We invite anyone who'd like to participate please visit our website, capstonesolutionsinc.com to learn more, to subscribe to our newsletter so that you will have all of the information you need for our next Leadership Excellence Forum. We are going to do our first live Leadership Excellence Forum during Women's History Month because we are a woman-owned business, and it's also going to be the eighth anniversary of our business, and that's going to be held here in the Atlanta area on March 7th in celebration of Women's History Month. So I would like to invite your audience to mark your calendars to participate in that as well. Awesome. Dr. Tina Woodard, Dr. T, CEO and founder of Capstone Performance Solutions. Tina, Dr. T has been awesome to have you. Thank you so much today. Thank you, Michael. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.